Welcome to the Creative Agency Account Manager podcast with me, Jenny Plant from Account Management Skills Training. I'm on a mission to help those in agency client service keep and grow those existing client relationships so your agency business can thrive. Hello and welcome to episode 67. Today you're in for a treat because I'm talking to a very experienced marketer who's been an agency client for much of his career. He's going to share his own experience of being on the client's side and he has also carried out a study of the best and worst client agency relationships and how to improve them and he's published the results in a white paper. So I'm really looking forward to introducing you to Gareth Turner and hearing him talk through the findings of this report. I think whether you're in marketing on the client side or managing the relationship on the agency side, you're going to benefit from the insights he shares. So let's go over to the intro now. Today, I am delighted to have as my guest, Gareth Turner, who is currently head of marketing for Weetabix and founder of his own marketing consultancy, Big Black Door. Gareth has over 23 years experience working in food and drink, and he's led the marketing for brands such as John Smith, Bulmers, Lurpak, Arla, lots of FMCG brands, so lots and lots of experience. He's worked with many agencies as well and often shares his views on how to improve client agency relationships on LinkedIn. So if you're not following him, I would highly recommend you do. Now, recently, and one of the big reasons that I wanted him to come and talk to me was he published a white paper on the topic of agency client relationships, and he called it, It's Time We Grew Up. So I'm going to ask him about that title in a minute. But he details the results of a study of the best and worst client agency relationships and how to improve them. So hopefully this is super relevant to anyone listening on the agency side. So Gareth, welcome to the show. Hello. Thanks for having me. We're in a slightly strange situation here. I am indeed head of marketing today at the time of recording, but I'm going all in. Uh, So by the time it goes out, I think I won't be head of marketing at Weetabix. I'll be all in on the uh, the Black Door Consultancy. So yes, thanks for having me. It's It's an absolute pleasure. And I know that you've got lots of opportunities lined up and you're already talking to lots of people who want your marketing expertise. So that is fantastic news. So would you mind sort of kicking off and just spending a couple of minutes talking about your career to date, Gareth? Tell us a bit about you and your background. So the first part of my career was in sales, number of different sales roles, at Diageo and Heineken and was a sales director for the East of England for a while at at Heineken, but always had more than a a passing interest in marketing. I always stuck my hand up to be the sales volunteer in a marketing project. So the opportunity arose to take on the John Smith brand and Mark Given, who's the CMO at Sainsbury's now, and Sarah Warby, who was the CMO at Sainsbury's before Mark, took a punt on me, but they gave me a chance. Back then I had some credibility and they gave me a chance on John Smith's and said, not even you can mess that up, Gareth. <laughs> so that's what got me into marketing. Did the last set of Peter K advertising with TBWA for John Smith. That was a uh, good fun. And then moved across to Bulmers, which was a more strategic marketing position on Bulmers and uh, did some good stuff there with St. Luke's was the main agency exposure as well. We did uh, work with them. Then joined and I did a number of different roles at Arla. Some of the sort of bigger roles there were the marketing director for Butter in the UK. So brands like Lurpak, Anchor, and Label was in my remit there. And I also did a, a global Arla brand role at uh, Arla, so consolidating down all the different agencies across Europe into 
we, we hoped it would be one, didn't quite work out that way, but certainly one creative idea, all with different Arla brands and uh, agencies did a lot of great work with Wyden and Kennedy uh, there. And yeah, most recently I'm at uh, Weetabix. So I've done a few ads at, at Weetabix, done some good marketing. We did the, the beans on Vic Tweed. We did a great partnership with the FA and had some good fun working with BBH as our lead creative agency at uh, Weetabix. I can't wait to dive into these questions because you've got <laughs> such you. a wealth of experience. I am just dying to ask you loads of questions. So that sounds like you've worked across the board, lots of different brands, lots of different agencies in lots of sort of different capacities. So tell us a bit about you're at this point of a changing career, mm. doing your own consultancy. So can you explain a bit about Big Black Door? What problems are you solving and for who? I'll give you a little sort of an anecdote here that when there was some pennies dropping for me that there's an opportunity here to help brands. So when you get to a certain point in your career, I get phone calls all the time. Got, we've got a month from recruitment people. We all get phone calls, right? but I get one from recruitment people. They say, we've got a marketing director job for you, Gareth. Okay, brilliant. Tell me about this. Tell me about the role. It's a startup company or a scale-up company. Okay, this sounds interesting. I said, I said, tell me about the department. And they say, well, it's you. Okay. okay. I don't think you need a marketing director. I think you need a good marketing manager or a good SBM, someone who's got some experience, someone who knows what they're doing, someone who can get stuff done, but you don't need the salary of a marketing director 24-7 or, or however long it is. And what you do need is someone every now and then to give some direction to those people and to help them and to coach them and to help them prioritize, et cetera. That's what I'll do. So I spoke to a, a business the other day and the, the head of marketing said, I'm swamped. I was, I'm just bewildered. I don't know. I'm, I'm so down in the weeds doing the doing that I don't get a chance to step back and create an, a, a strategy and set the right KPIs, et cetera. That's the stuff I can, I can help people with. So basically it is to be a marketing director when you need it without the salary when you don't. Amazing. And I can imagine that you would add so much value by stepping into a business. You could probably see a lot very quickly, given how many years you've been doing it yourself. Yeah, I've worked with some businesses already where you know, there are some savings that can be made with agencies. There are some, you know, I think there's some agencies who are not treating some of the less experienced people fairly. So I've seen some retainers there, which looked out of kilter, shall we say. I've seen people selling media channels, which I don't think are relevant for brands at that size or that point in their life cycle. So and I'm not a super duper person. I'm just got 23 years, you say, yeah, miles on the clock. I've got, I've got experience to go, that, that just doesn't feel right. That you're spending more on agency retainers than I was at Weetabix. That's out of kilter. So they're the kind of conversations that just with experience, you can see straight away and hopefully have a bigger impact on a smaller business than I can have at bigger brands. Mm -hmm. Just staying with this theme for a moment, because obviously you've got so much experience and I suppose people who are holding the reins of a company in the marketing capacity would really benefit from you coming in. You can probably see a lot very quickly. The, one of the first things you mentioned was, you know, things around the relationship with the agencies. So that's obviously quite a big chunk of probably your cost savings and analyzing the potential cost savings. Mm. You said they're not treating them fairly. Can you sort of elaborate on that a bit? Look, I don't want to break any confidences, but I see people being sold stuff that they don't need. I was chatting to someone the other day and they'd been sold some broadcaster VOD creative. They're not at the size that need, they don't need broadcaster VOD. They, they got other things. I think anyone who was being truly media agnostic wouldn't be talking to them about that. I'm going to guess that that agency wants to make something, being totally unfair to them. But it, it felt to me that anyone could see 
that wasn't the right thing to do for that business at that point in their life. So I don't think that's fair. And they perhaps will touch on the white paper stuff in a bit, but the number one reason for good and bad relationships was understanding. So when you have a good understanding of each other, each other's business objectives, each other's human objectives, their career aspirations, all these things, when you have it good, a good understanding of that, you have better relationships. And when you don't have an understanding of that, you have worse relationships. So in that example, I don't think that agency had that client's best interests at heart. Fair enough. So they weren't asking the right questions. They weren't getting under the skin of the business. They weren't understanding priorities. And who knows why that project or that broadcast of VOD was presented. So pausing that for a minute, I'm interested in, you mentioned so many agencies that you work with. Give me a flavor of your experience working with the agencies. Typically, who were you dealing with at the agency? What kind of remit did you have? How did you tend to treat your agencies when you were working with them? Well, you'd have to ask them. I think I'm still pretty good. I think I'm on good speaking terms with almost every agency person I've worked with. So I see these guys, the agencies, as an extension of my team. And because if I'm making a, a TV app, for example, right, let's just use that as Richard a couple of times, I can't do that. And actually, I shouldn't have the expense of, of having those people on my books 24-7 as a brand marketeer. And sometimes there's a bit of in-housing and I've not worked in in-housing and I can see how that works for some people. It's not worked for the businesses that I've been in, not whilst I was there anyway. So they bring in that expertise when I need it. And so how do I treat them? I hope I treat them with respect. I hope I treat them like another member of my team. I hope we have fun. These, a creative meeting, for example, should be the highlight of my day, at least, if not my month. And sometimes one can suck the joy out of those meetings by, you know, just client side behavior and an agency behaviors. They're not fun anymore. And that's sad. They should be the highlight. So how do I treat people? I hope I treat them like human beings. I hope I treat them as, as respected equals. I hope I try and understand them a bit. I'm, I don't know. After, I know I don't ask enough questions about people's private lives, but you know, that's my partner would always say to me, you, I, go, I go out with my best friend down the pub. And she goes, so what's, uh, how is he? He's fine. Um, oh, <laughs> how, how's his wife and kids? Uh, I can tell you how Newcastle are doing. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's me. Now, you mentioned lots of networked agencies. Did you have typically a group of agencies that you dealt with for different things? And if so, sort of how many were you managing? Who was your key point of contact? Give us a flavor of how that relationship was on a, on a sort of logistics level. So probably have, well, I've been working on some of the bigger brands. You'd have you know, your sort of media, creative, shopper. When I've been at Heineken, you might have an on-trade shopper and an off-trade shopper. You might have an experiential PR packaging. So a good, what's that, six, seven agencies. You know, some of them you're speaking to daily. Some you're speaking to once a quarter or something, or maybe even once a year of packaging. You don't change packaging that often. So how do I manage it? I, I would, again, you'd have to ask them how I really do but how i'm going to say i do is that i'm i like to think i'm quite collegiate and collaborative so when i've been actively managing those agency relationships i would have an all agency meeting once every quarter or so i'd try back in the day when we all got together a bit more often we'd physically get together we'd have you know just sandwiches and stuff or, or a buffet lunch but lunch it together so we'd have some time away from the presentations we'd you know hopefully connect at a different level to just talking about the work and I'd want challenge, I, I, but I also have seen the benefit of a lead agency. So in the past, it's either been the creative agency, the above the line, the TV advertising agency, or the media agency. Generally speaking, in recent years, the media agency 
in the brands I've worked on has been the only one that's been on a retainer. So most of the agencies I work with have been project-based and therefore the media agency ends up being the lead agency because they're the only ones getting paid every month. Makes sense. And tell me, did you invite those agencies into your planning process, your yearly planning process? Yeah, absolutely. There are some bits you do on your own, there, but the sooner you can get agencies into the planning process, the better. So at Weetabix, I think we have a great process. But it does start with a bit of state of the nation marketing department on their own and we get sort of sheep dipped in the, into the the market data, how we're doing, what our business objectives are. So you're getting the input. We then start to distill that and then we'll have a session with all our brands, with all our agencies. So one big kickoff session. So this is what the business is trying to achieve. And then we go away into our subgroups with brands and agencies together to say, okay, what are we trying to achieve on Weetabix? What are we trying to achieve on Alpen? What are we trying to achieve on Weetos, et cetera? Have those smaller all agency groups and the responses and, and the responses to responses. It's, I think it's a very well worked process. I'm so glad you responded like that. You know, of course I do, because it's actually a conversation, you believe it or not, that I have with lots of agencies who are smaller, independent. And one of the key things I say is, are you involved in the client's yearly planning process? And sometimes I'm looked at blankly. So it's not mm-hmm. always you know, there's probably reasons for that, but I'm glad you responded like that and how cohesive, a lot more ideas earlier in the process. So let's move to this report you wrote, Gareth, because I know that you write typically these fabulous posts about client agencies relationships, but why did you decide to publish the paper? I think there are two reasons. Probably the truth is I was running a course. I was doing some work on how to turn client service from a cost to like a, a thing to be valued. A cost to be challenged to a, a thing to be valued or something like that was the, the title. And I thought, I need, I need some research on this. I need to do some digging to see, well, how are other people seeing this? Not just me. But the provocation for, I, I got a lot of stuff back which confirmed what I was thinking. And at that time, I'd had a very difficult relationship with one of my major agencies, but we got through that. It's, so you put these things together and you think, well, okay, well, maybe there's something in this. Maybe I've learned some ways to help. People get out of the pit, the pit of despair when it's not going well. And we sort of did a kickoff meeting, but not at the kickoff of our relationship. We sort of did a recalibration kickoff meeting. I think kickoff meetings are so important, but they don't need to be at the kickoff. They can be a, an intervention if needed. So yeah, those two things together, I had to do some research to try and bring some data to some training I was doing, but also it'd been something that I've been thinking about for a while that I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly of client agency relationships. and. Over the years, I've just picked up some good tips on addressing those because I've worked with some bloody great agencies who saw the same thing. No one likes to be in that relationship where you, you turn up at a meeting, you just head on the whole time. It's exhausting. No one likes that. So fortunately, I had a group of account directors working in these agencies who saw the same thing that I was seeing. And we sort of went for a golf and went, this, this isn't fun anymore, is it? How do we sort this out? But why was that happening? This is the difficulty you're referring to. So what, yeah. what was happening there? I think when we went into the, you know, everyone got a chance to fill out a questionnaire, anonymous questionnaire about how they were feeling and some feedback and basically respect had gone. We were doing a big strategic project and it was difficult and it was challenging and the work wasn't always testing well. You know, there's just, just pressure, right? So, and sometimes pressure brings out not helpful behaviors in both sides. This isn't that agencies were bad and we were good. Absolutely not. 
and there were some different approaches in different countries. So that was a, it was an international team that I was corralling once I was leading. I was trying to herd an international team, and some people's approaches to agency relationship was very different to a UK based approach to agency relationships, and that led to some tension when you've got a UK agency. What were they more sort of JFDI and you were more collaborative? Yeah, I mean, agency is the slave was a term that was used. Nice. Yeah. And so one of the outputs, when we, when we developed a charter and how we wanted to behave with each other, one of the outputs of that was remember your P's and Q's. Wow. I mean, how have we got to a place where we have to remember, we have to write that down? But it, it helped just to remind us to be respectful of each other. Mm. Was that... Oh God, I'm going to go even deeper. Is that, would you think that was cultural to the country or was that like individual to the person that had that kind of... A bit of both. A bit of both. Yeah. I think if I, if I go down that path, I'm going to give it away who, who it is. I'm not going to say that. Okay. Don't worry. Don't worry. So listen, you called this paper, It's Time We Grew Up. I love the title. Why the title? I actually sort of toned it down a bit. I, I had a, a bit of a swear in there originally, but I, I, I paired it back because the behaviours are just so childish from both sides. Um, and I, I've written some posts, so I didn't actually include it in the paper. I was trying to cut it down a little bit. There's the ghosting that goes on. There's the, the sort of hiding agencies away and not introducing them to other people. There's promising agencies work if they do this little thing for you now and then never, it never comes around. All these just really shitty behaviours. Yeah, and, and let's be fair, agencies aren't blameless for this either, right? It's not, this is a two-way street, but between us, we've just got to grow up. And if a budget gets cut, do you know what? Budgets get cut sometimes and tell someone the budget's been cut. That's okay. If the shoot has, has gone over budget, tell the person the shoot's gone over budget because it won't be the first time that's happened. So let's just treat each other with respect and like adult, have an adult conversation and then work together to fix it. Because from my point of view, the agencies I work with are some of the cleverest people that I've had the pleasure to meet. And so why wouldn't I share a problem with them? Because they can help me. They can help me look good. I've built a career on agencies helping me to look good. Love it. Honestly, everything you've just listed, I hear all the time from the agency side. So tell me, this report came out with the six themes, which I've got in front of me. Could we just go through those themes and just give us a flavour and nugget? Because obviously I'm going to include the link so everyone can look at this report and download it. But the first one, I think you've already mentioned, which was the value of mutual understanding. Yeah, clear winner, right? That, I think 40% of people who answer the questionnaire no matter what side they're on, said that that was the most important thing. Or, or actually, no, they, they quoted it as a reason behind their, their best and worst relationships and flipping it. But I think when you dig beneath that, it's more than just business understanding, although there is a large amount of business understanding. There's understanding the human behind the job title. There's understanding my consumers, understanding the business pressures, understanding my aspirations. A great example of this is the planning director, Boja, when I was I was struggling to get a piece of work through the business and he saw that and he asked me why, why are we struggling to get this piece of work through a business? And I said, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it was, I was struggling just to convince somebody that it was the right piece of work and they had some objections and my confidence had been knocked. So he, he helped me. He coached me in the way to present it, in the way to deal with that, to give me the confidence to be more relaxed in that presentation. And so he helped me kind of indirectly by understanding what was going on for me. And in another world, that 
bloody hell, Gareth can't get that stuff through the business. He's terrible. That's not being shoulder to shoulder. It's just being butting up against each other. So he stood shoulder to shoulder with me and helped me. That's what I mean by understanding beyond the job title, beyond the business objectives. But you need to have that as well. You need to understand what's going on for me individually because I, you know, I want to, I might want to progress my career and I'm feeling like I'm not able to because this thing is, I'll, I'll get a block there. I'm going to assume that when he was kind of asking you about getting this through the business, he did it in such an empathetic way that you felt confident enough and safe enough to actually share with him the struggle you were having. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm fairly open, so it doesn't take much to give me that. But yeah, that, that's an, an, another thing. One of the other themes in the uh, the research was about respectful challenge as a second theme. I, and you have to create the environment where that's okay. And so some of the quotes from agency said, the client doesn't treat me like a human. But then clients were saying, I think quarter of all clients said they wanted brave work. We well, ain't getting it. If you're not treating someone like a human, you haven't created the space, the psychologically safe space for someone to bring you some some bold work. They ain't going to do it. And so in that example, that the planning director would create an environment where it's okay for me. And I hope to, you know, it doesn't always work on tries. And sometimes you forget, and sometimes you, you, you're not perfect on these things, but you try and create an environment where when someone brings you a piece of work, you're thinking, well, ha- is it on brief? Could we make this work? Could this be a great thing? You know, so the, the beans on Bix thing, that came from, a, I hope, creating the right environment with my team and my team creating the right environment with agencies where they're prepared to, push the boundaries a little bit. I mean, for an agency person listening to this, thinking, yeah, Gareth's just said it. I've got this situation with my client. He's not treating me like a human or she's not treating me like a human. What the hell can they do? <laughs> I can tell you the problem. But no, I come back to this sort of adulting. As hard as it is, you've got to call it. You've, you've mm. got to say, I don't think anyone sets out to treat another human badly on this sort of job, right? It's just marketing's stuff we're doing it's not anything that important Brain surgery yeah, yeah. saving so lives why, why can't people just say look the way you said that thing I, I agree with your i'm making this up here i agree with your sentiment on this but the way you said it didn't land well with me or just calling stuff out for what it is and learning how to give feedback and unless you tell someone because i don't think that person will have set out to be a dick but you've got to tell them gareth you're a bit of a dick there i'm, I'm sorry to say that and I go, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I didn't, uh, yeah, I can see how you might have thought that. That wasn't my intention. I'm so sorry. I've, that, I've said that before. When someone's called me out on the way something landed, definitely wasn't my intention. And I, I've apologised. I'm happy to apologise if, if I've got it wrong. Lovely. Nice advice, Gareth. Very, very on point, I think. Brilliant advice. Tell me a bit more about Respectful Challenge. So how much did you enjoy your agencies challenging you? Give me a flavour for what that might look like. So. Respectful change. So I, I, we had this, I had this conversation with the creative director at BBH a while ago, Felipe, and uh, he had a, a line, it's not you, it's the work. And so by keeping the conversation about the work, you can have a more challenging conversation because it's not about whether I think he's any good at his job or not. It's me talking about the scamps he's done or the team have done. So that's how I think you can do it. So in terms of challenge, we had our agencies at Weetabix fairly regularly present us work which wasn't briefed which is they just speculatively so there was we did one um you know the, the beans on bix thing was part of a wider strategy but that was quite a bold thing and that agency had challenged us to be bolder on zero to ten so you don't want to be a ten 
but you don't want to be a zero either. You know, how can we push ourselves around to an eight or a nine? So we sort of calibrated. That's one way of doing it. BBH presented some work to us when it seems like a last time ago now, when Theresa May resigned and there was the new leader of the Conservative Party who was going to be then the new prime minister. We took out an ad, he's going to need his, when it was announced. Now, nice. that was, uh, you know, who knew, right? <laughs> who knew? What are we doing again now? That's one way. And we also ran a Dragon's Den a while ago, a couple of years ago. We did it before the lockdown and things have sort of moved on a little bit. But we had a, a bravery pot, a pot of money, which we said, this is our overall objective. We want to drive penetration or we want to do drive awareness. We want to do X, Y, Z. We're all ears. Come with anything. And so actually we opened that to agencies. We also opened that to colleagues. So we had two Dragon's Dens and one was for colleagues to come in with ideas and the other was for agencies to come and just sort of pitch us ideas. We had, we had all the chairs out. We had sort of fake 50 crown notes and stuff. It was Brilliant. A, bit, a bit of fun. Again, yeah. that, that builds a relationship as well. Just a bit of fun. And we gave everyone proper feedback. We're all sort of in character. But we got some good ideas. I think the idea we did from there was the, I think it was BBH actually, they had an idea where we took out some outdoor advertising in the Czech Republic when England were playing the Czech Republic in the Euros and said, like, watch out, our boys have had theirs. Now, we only took one post, one site, but we PR'd the backside of that in the UK. So it was a nice, nice thing. Very nice. I mean, hopefully this is going to be listened to by other marketers as well, because you are followed by lots of other marketers. So maybe that's given them an idea as well, because if they're in a similar situation, they want to drive penetration, that bravery pot, what a fantastic initiative, and then getting both colleagues and agencies to present ideas. Genius. So we've talked a little bit about value of mutual understanding, respectful challenge. The third point that came up in the survey, in the study, was dedicating time to process. Yeah. So for me, that's, I think there are two elements to this. I think that's the root cause of a lot of tension is when you're under time pressure. So creating the right amount of time to brief properly, to not be rushed, go, bloody hell, we're up against it. We need to add out that you're not getting great work like that. So dedicating the right amount of time, getting the right people to dedicate the right amount of time as well. But also a bit of understanding on my time pressures. So for example, I think I was working out, I reckon if, I don't know, let's, let's call it, let's be generous, call it 40 hours a week, right, that I'm doing, then with departmental stuff, with team meetings, I reckon what, half my time is spent on marketing. And of that half, I've got X number of brands, I've got the four Ps, I've got some strategy, I've got some execution, I've got... It's about half an hour per project I've got. So when you turn up late for that meeting or you send me the pre-read after the start of the meeting, that's why I'm getting a bit tetchy about that because you've already wasted the time that I had at Allocate. And I know it's not quite as black and white as that, but I'm not sitting there waiting for that call. I've got plenty of other stuff to be getting on with. So that's, I think, probably it's a bridge between understanding and, and timing in there. I love that we've had it from the horse's mouth, so to speak, because actually I get a lot of account managers saying to me, you know, I can't get hold of my client. They haven't responded to my email. You know, they're working on this one project and you have to remember the client, it's not their key priority. So an understanding on both sides and also from the client side, not giving unrealistic timelines. Totally agree. Just be, but that again, that's agencies need to push back on that as well and tell me, yeah, I'm, I'm going to push for it to be as, as fast as it can be. Of course I am. You need to also tell me, mate, you're mad. If you think you can do it in that time, you're absolutely mad. You're what? Two days for feedback, Gareth. You can't get feedback in a week. Just Let's just be honest about this. Again, it comes back to that having that direct conversation, doesn't it? I love this theme. 
Number four was honesty and trust that came up in the white paper. Tell us about that. Honesty and trust, they were mentioned by agencies and clients as the reasons for good relationships. It just, it just made me flabbergasted that we had to call that out. It's not just assumed that there's honesty and trust in the relationship. So that shocked me a little bit. And I think back to that idea of the budget example, or when I was struggling to sell something through the business, just being honest with people, it won't be the first time someone's heard that there's a budget cut. It's common. So just telling people that you don't need to ghost them. You don't, you, just telling someone that, do you know what, I, I've read your proposal, but I've decided to take another option. I've got three options on the table. I'll take an option two. That's also okay. I don't understand what stops people doing that. I think just, if you see it, say it. It just saves, it saves a bit of time and pain further down the road. Mm, makes total sense. Tell me about, you work with agencies. Did you tend to work with agencies over a long period of time to build up that trust? And just a you know, slight side question, when there was a change of personnel, so maybe your group account director left, how much did that affect your relationship with the agency? So I have tended to work with agencies for a long period. I haven't changed agencies too much. I talked to someone about pitching the other day. I reckon I've probably only done two or three big pitches in all those years. It seems exciting when you get told about it the first time. It's not. It's painful for everybody. It's painful for client. It's such a drain on time and resort. If you do it properly, it's not as much fun as one might think it was. You can tell one person it's good news. You've got to tell other people it's bad news. It's not fun at all. True. So I've tended to work with agencies for a long time and sometimes personnel change. You're right. And do you know what? I think right now there is a higher churn in agencies because people aren't as invested in that business as they were when they were going to sit in that same desk all the time. Because you might as well, I'm sitting here talking to you in my little, little bunker. Well, I could be here working for company A, B or C, and I'm still in the same place, still having the same similar conversation. So I think the loyalty to businesses has decreased. And so there is more churn. And that's a challenge for the leadership at agencies is to retain the best people and to onboard the new people in a way that keeps the consistency of service. That's all I'm worried about as a client really is Am I getting a good service? Am, am I getting what I've asked for? Yeah, I don't have to like people. It helps. We like each other. It makes life a bit easier, but I just want to not have to go over the same old ground time and time again. Yeah. And presumably kept updated about the change and also that it's a seamless change and you're not seeing any any fluctuation in service. Yeah. Well, it's been at its worst. I've had an agency call me and say, yeah, Dave left uh, this morning. Okay. And wh- what's going on with Dave's replacement? Yeah. Yeah. We're working on it. Okay. Sometimes it happens when the person's going to a, an agency that's working on a competitor brand or something where, you know, I can totally understand sometimes it has to happen, mm. but it's probably happened more than it, it ought to have over the years. But I, I don't need to be involved in the recruitment process. That's totally, totally their bag. I just don't need to be involved in that. I just need to be given the confidence that, you know, we're spending money, right? And I just want to be given the confidence that we're still going to get the great service. Mm. It affects trust a little bit there, doesn't it, Gareth? Because probably that guy put his notice in a month ago, if not three months ago, and you get told on the day that yeah. he's leaving. So again, that how does that leave you with the perception of the agency and how much respect there is? So yeah. there's some learnings here for sure. Let's move on to number five in the paper, which was the power of the brief. Yeah. I mean, I think that's well, well documented, although it transpires that it still seems to be revelatory news. So I can't quite get my head around that. I think there was some research from the Better Briefs project a while ago which yeah, very similar findings, but I think yeah, that's all about the brief that they were writing. But they were saying that 
I think I'll get the numbers wrong here. Something like 90% of clients think they've written a good brief, but 80% of agencies think they've written a bad brief. Yeah. So how's that a thing, right? How's that a surprise? And how client needs to create, we're back to this sort of trust and honesty, needs to create an environment where the agency can say, I'm sorry, Gareth, that's just not good enough. I want to challenge X, Y, and Z. And even better, we should be writing the blimmin' thing together. We should be in a room with all the stakeholders in the room and create co-creating brief where we've thought about every word that's in that brief. Every word means something and is considered. Not so I've just dashed off as quick as I can and emailed it over to them, copied and pasted it from last year's one. Yeah, we've all done that. Doesn't make it a good brief. That's the document, the summary document of all the thinking that's gone before. That's like the contract from all the thinking. But you've also got the theatre of how you how you deliver it. And are you engaging people? Are you as a client making that agency give any discretionary effort they've got on your stuff? Well, yeah, they think about that in the shower. Mm-hmm. That's when you've written a good brief and you've delivered a great brief is when people are just excited about it and want to write more and more. Very overlooked, actually. That's a great point. What was I going to say about the brief? Have you ever had any training on writing a great brief, Gareth? Yes. You have. Who conducted that training? Just out of interest. A number of people. And yeah, it's something I do as well, right? I'm, I'm going to do. But the, I've, yeah, I, when I was at Heineken, I was on like a, like a, a three-day residential course on writing a brief. There you go. They're difficult documents. They're very difficult documents. And each section is important. And this isn't about the creative brief that the agency then gives to the creative team. This is about me saying to the agency, this is the business problem I've got. This is how I think we can fix this. And here's a bit about my audience. And here's how I'm measuring you. Oh, oh, and here's the budget you've got. How many briefs go in with TBC in the budget? Ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. At least give an indication. So there's actually, if people are listening to this, both on the marketing side and the agency side, you are very well versed in how to write a decent brief. And actually, it is the contract. It is the absolute bones of how you work together. And it can make the difference between spending too much time and money on something, going down the wrong route. It can cost so much, can't it, getting it wrong. There was a great quote in uh, verbatim in, in the research that I did, and someone wrote, in there about the brief said the agency didn't answer the brief i ordered a car and i got a boat although it makes me wonder if i was unclear do you think do you think it might have been <laughs> yeah well this, maybe they didn't talk it through did they maybe this was all emailed i mean who knows yeah. <laughs> okay so look i'm conscious of time and yeah. i just want to get through we're on the last point of this white paper which is fabulous the stakeholder management tell us a bit about that point so i think A fifth, one in five of the respondents of agencies rather said that stakeholder management, the people coming in at the last minute, sort of secret stakeholders coming in at the last minute and kiboshing the work was a cause of the worst relationships. And I can relate to that. I think uh, the Better Briefs Project again said that 50% of briefs weren't being signed off by the right people. So for me, we've all been there. I'm not not saying I'm clean on this, but other people can learn from my pain. That when that's been at its worst, the learning I took away from that was as boring as this sounds, get a racy in place. Understand who's responsible, accountable, who you're consulting, who you're informing. Because when you do that, I can think of a very clear example where there was a disagreement. There was me and someone else, peers, looking at a piece of work. We disagreed on something and we said, let's go back to the racy. And at that point I said, 
I accept it's not my decision. I've, I've said my piece. It's your call. And that moved it on. And if at that point I had really disagreed with that, it was like, okay, let's just go back to the right. Let's just then think about the race seat. And again, it's then, it doesn't become about a person. It becomes about whether we together got that race seat right. It's talking about something less emotional than, I don't agree with you, Dave. It's a more tangible thing, less emotional thing we can talk about. So that's been a great help to me over the years is as boring as it is, getting one of those set out, whose decision is it? That helps. Great point. Again, it's up to the agency to ask, you know, who are the stakeholders involved in the sign-off procedure at the very beginning? So it's highlighted as a point, but absolutely internally, if there are several stakeholders, then creating a race is a perfect idea to keep it non-personal. Okay. So look, there's going to be a lot of agencies hanging on your every word, Gareth, here, because account managers specifically, right? I want to hear from you what great account management looks like for you. I think I've given the examples on the way through. Just understand, understand my business, understand me, understand the brand, understand how we're going to make that brand grow, understand the budgets, spend some time with me in my business, spend some time, hot desk, hot desk in my business, once a quarter, you know, one day a quarter, surely everyone can do that. And you'll be amazed how much you pick up. And at that point, when you're in my business, You'll be hearing other conversations going on about other brands. There's a business opportunity for you there, but you also can bring your expertise. What I value in one of the things I value in agency is that you're doing a similar thing for a broad range of people. I would never know it's a vertical or horizontal. I think it's a horizontal. You're slicing through a number of different customers. So you can bring some of that expertise and that outside in to us in your field. That's how you add the value to our business. Yeah, I've seen that at company X and they're approaching it in this kind of way. Golden nugget for agency account managers right there. Absolutely. This comes up in my training all the time. You know, I think there was a survey done by relationship audits and management and they said that when they ask clients, what do they want from their agency? Would you like your agency to leverage the learnings they have with other clients and apply it to your business or offer you ideas? hundred percent of clients say yes. But only, I can't remember the percentage, but it's a tiny percentage of agencies actually do it. Mm. There's an idea right there. So thank you. Can you just touch on maybe what absolutely not to do as an agency account manager? <laughs> do not do this if you want to have a good client relationship. Can you wake up any nightmares? I think the account team should be my voice inside the agency. And so some of the worst stuff I've seen would be when I'm trying to make up an example to illustrate it, but the, the work's being presented and again, right, that, you know, that's not on brief here. I'll make it up. We wanted to drive penetration of product X and you just showed me something which is not about that. And it's doing something else. And right. Yeah. Dave, account director. Did you see that? Did you, did you just see that before? You, because you know what I'm going to say. Cause I say that every time, every time, every meeting we have, I'm saying, how's that going to drive penetration? And if you can't answer that question, yeah, you know, I'm going to ask the question. So, at its worst is when the account person isn't a strong enough voice, I'm assuming, back in the agency, when they may be bullied or sort of, I don't know, bullied is probably the wrong word, but you know, pressured into work, share work from maybe the creative team or the planning team. But the account person is my voice inside their agency and they need to be saying the things they know I'm going to say. They've either not seen it or they've been bullied. You took the words out of my mouth. So 
No, but it happens, Gareth. This is the reality. I was talking to Danny Turnbull about this just recently. We do get bullied, unfortunately, so it does happen. Tell me about your thoughts for the future for marketing. You know, what are some of the challenges that marketers are facing right now? Well, the, back in the 1980s or something, it would have been, how are we going to drive our brand? We'll launch your brand. We'll go on a nice TV spot and we'll put it at the centre break in Coronation Street. And then they'll do the news at probably the nine o'clock news back then or whatever, or the 10 o'clock news. And we'll, um, job's done. Thanks very much. Everyone high five off to a champagne bar. The challenge now is that there are so many different media channels. There are so many different channels that you need to consider to get your message out there. Now, in one way, that's great because it makes scale communication more accessible. But in other ways, there's always a shiny new toy. There's a whole conversation about the metaverse at the moment. So how's that going to work for me? And what, what am I doing with that? The danger is one gets swayed, one's opinion gets swayed by that shiny new toy when you should really be thinking about brand fundamentals and what's the right way to do this thing, not here's this new thing, what do we use it for? The metaverse, to use that example, might be the right thing for your business challenge, but let's focus on all the things that could deliver against that business challenge and find the right solution. So the challenge for the marketeers in the future is just to remain skeptical about the shiny new toys and see them in the right place as another tool, another tactic to deploy against your strategy. How can agencies support marketers in terms of understanding those channels and all of the options they have and how to use them? What role does the agency play? Well, I think back to the, some of the examples I've given, you know, they need to be agnostic. They need to understand our, my business objectives, my marketing objectives, and show me the right tools that deliver those objectives and show me why the things they're proposing are better than the other things. Not come in with, I've got a broadcast of odd ad for you. Okay, well, great. That's great. It looks lovely, but tell me how that's going to achieve my objectives. Okay. Well, that's what I'm really interested in and keeping it as simple as possible, not salami slicing my budget so thinly that nothing makes an impact. There's all these things that are coming together just to do fewer, bigger things, but to do the right things that have the, the biggest impact on my numbers. Yeah, there's a theme coming through, business impact all the time. Yeah. And just finally, how do you think, or have you got any thoughts on this, how the client-agency relationships will evolve in the future? Any thoughts on that? I'd like perhaps a slight difference between what I hope and what I think. So what I hope is that there's more understanding. I hope that if I ran my research again in a year's time, that people aren't treating each other with a lack of respect, a lack of honesty. Uh, people are treating each other like humans. I hope that's the case. I think the reality is nothing will change. I think things move very slowly. I think if you ran this research 10 years ago, I think people were saying similar things. I just think, I think that's the way it is. So there's a tension there between what I hope and what I think. And do you think that account managers are going to become a thing of the past? I don't think so. I think all the ones I work with are valuable. I think when they are championing my voice in the agency, that's when they're at their best, right? They're filtering work before it gets to me they're saving me time by doing that not showing work that's that we know isn't going to work they're yeah my voice in the agency so yeah I, I can't see a world where that maybe for sort of small startup where you get access to the the founders i can't see a world where uh, as they get scale that you do away with that role Great. So listen, thank you so much, Gareth, for answering all my direct questions. You really did. There were some, lots of golden nuggets in there for agencies, particularly, and not to mention marketers. So thank you. And tell me, who would you like to be contacted by and what's the best place to reach you? Well, anyone who needs that sort of help, I suppose, as witnessed by today, I can talk, certainly. So I think I've done some good stuff over the years. So I'd like to talk to any 
any client side people who are looking for a bit of direction and maybe any agencies who, who want to get the voice of the client inside their business. You can get me on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn too often. So that's where you get me. Great. Well, we'll certainly put a link to your profile on LinkedIn in the show notes. So once again, thank you so much, Gareth. This has been superb and good luck with the venture of Big Black Door. And I look forward to seeing what happens next. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed the insights that Gareth shared and don't forget to follow him on LinkedIn because he shares some brilliant content on marketing and client agency relationships. Now, if you're working in agency account management and you'd like to get some formal training in how to offer the highest level of value to your clients, so you not only retain your client relationships, but grow your accounts, then go to my website, accountmanagementskills.com forward slash training and check out my account accelerator program or also connect with me on LinkedIn at Jenny Plant. I look forward to talking to you on the next one.